morning. Glad you are here this morning. Uh, Once a month this year, our theme has been called. And as we wrap up this year, we are going to look at how we have been called to hope. Uh, It seems to me that this is the time of year that we gravitate to the idea of hope. Uh, It is uh, somewhat fascinating Uh, to watch that in our society and to watch that in our culture. It seems like one of the big hopes that always happens this time of year is that next year will not be like this year. I mean, that's just kind of the consistent (laughs) hopeful theme is you you run out to the end of the calendar and the big deal is you you and the ball drops and all of that. Everybody's going to be like, well, we're hopeful that next year is just going to be so much better and, and be so, so different. Uh, than before. And um, not to be totally depressing to you this this time of the year and and (laughs) anything like that, but uh, for a moment, for the direction of what I want us to do with the lesson this morning and talking about the idea of hope, I would like for you to consider that everybody probably had all of those very same hopes at the end of 2017. Where everybody got into that year and go, man, 2018 is going to be the best year ever. And it's not going to be like 2017. It's going to be so much better and so different. And now we're at the end of this year, we're going to go, man, 2019 is going to be so much better than 2018. It's going to be so much different. It won't be as bad as 2018. 2019 has got all of our hopes and all of our dreams. And it's going to be so much better than before. And you probably did that at the end of 2016 and 15 and 14 and (laughs) all all the way back down. And the point that I'm trying to get at is not to cause depression during the most wonderful time of the year, but exactly just to try to get us to to get a sense of we are people that have been created for hope. We we grab onto it. It, it, Just about anything that comes along, we want to have hope. We, We will even try to generate hope out of things that aren't particularly hopeful. I mean, there's nothing practically different between December 31 and January 1 besides you bought a calendar to, to, with different pictures. Otherwise, what, what really changed? But we're so intent on that. We want hope. And what I want us to think about for a minute is that God also wants us to have hope. But what God does in the scriptures is gives us a real basis for hope. We often grab onto things that are really a false hope or an empty hope, things that are really not true. And then we get to where we think that hope is going to lie and we just kind of start it all over again. And the, the new year is a great example of that. But God has certainly called us to hope. In preparing for this sermon, I was actually pleasantly surprised to know there are a lot of passages in the New Testament that speak about hope. I was just kind of like, wow, I didn't realize there's a ton of them. I'm going to pick out just a few of them today. But just in noticing just as a baseline of that idea that Paul wrote to the Colossians, And said, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. The idea is that God does have an amazing hope pictured for us, that we are supposed to be hopeful people. That being a Christian does not mean that there is a lack of hope, but that God doesn't want it to be a false hope or to be an empty hope or a hope that is 
tied or grounded to the things of this life. And I think that's our natural tendency. Our natural temptation is to try to attach hope in the things of this life. To try to find hope in the things of this world. And as we go through the lesson this morning, I think as we draw these contrasts, we'll see why sometimes we lose hope because we've attached it to the wrong things rather than the hope that God wants us to have. It is truly important that we have hope, though. I believe the Scriptures show us that it is really the one thing that is to get us through life. There's a reason that God gives hope is that it is the one thing to propel us through this life, through hardships, through trials, through temptations, through difficulties is the hope that God has set out before us. And so what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to take the book of Romans. And if you were there in the scripture reading, you already said, if you weren't, turn over to the book of Romans. And we're going to spend our time looking at three passages in the book of Romans. Three times Paul comes to a a spot in that great letter and he begins to explain the hope that we have as Christians. We're going to look at what Paul says about that and then make some applications for our lives for the end of the year and how it, what it means for us to then be Christians and followers of Him. As we just read for us, Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And notice what he says at the end of verse 2. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now watch how he explains that in verse 3. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God has put, has been, has, excuse me, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, if you've been in the pews long enough, you've probably seen this text. In particular, what gravitates us to this text is the statement in verse 3 that we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that our suffering produces endurance and produces character. And it would be very easy to do a sermon on that. It's not too hard to see, okay, going through suffering, going through difficulty, going through life's challenges produces endurance. I think we could all raise our hand and go, yeah, I can see how that works. It does produce endurance. It makes us stronger, makes us ready for the next challenge, helps us through new trials that come, makes us stronger for new temptations. And he says suffering produces character. And we could probably raise our hands on that too and go, yeah, I can see how the sufferings that God has allowed me to go through has changed who I am. It's changed my character. It's changed my life. It's changed my life perspective. It's changed everything about who I am. But I think off of the description when we talk about that stops right there. But notice what the rest of that says. He says, suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. But don't stop there. Notice he says, and that produces hope. 
suffering ultimately is producing hope. Now that, I think, is probably the most contrary idea there might be. Because I think suffering often produces hopelessness, right? That's usually how that plays out. Is we go through difficulties, we go through hard times, and we go, this is hopeless. This is hard. This is difficult. I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. This is too difficult. And so I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And I think it is interesting that what Paul is saying is that Ultimately, suffering is supposed to strengthen our hope, not destroy it. And I would just let that kind of rattle around in our minds for a moment because I totally raise my hand and go, this is a very contrary idea that Paul would say that. I see that suffering produces endurance and I see how that produces character. But how is suffering ultimately through character and endurance producing hope how is it producing in us a hope that does not disappoint i know this sounds a little strange but i would like for us to think about this for a moment hope is ultimately not hope unless it is regularly challenged hope is ultimately not hope Unless it is regularly challenged. Chapter 4 of Romans gives the example of it. And I don't have time to teach all of Romans 4. Sure wish I could. I'll give you just kind of a reminder of what chapter 4 is all about. If you remember in Romans chapter 4, we are given the example of Abraham. Abraham is an important example of faith. Paul recounts in this section how a promise was made to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. There's a big problem with that promise though. God can come to Abraham and say, you're going to be the father of many nations. The issue is, Abraham is too old physically to have a child and Sarah is barren and unable to have a child. And yet, God comes to Abraham and says, you're going to be the father of many nations. Your offspring are going to be like the stars in the sky and like the sand of the sea. And yet, they're both too old to have children. And so what I want you to notice what it says in chapter 4, verse 18 of Romans. It says there in verse 18, in hope he believed against hope. (laughs) Notice again that contrary thought process. In hope, he believed against hope. (laughs) Hope against hope. I think that's such an interesting picture of this. Why does Abraham do that? Why does Abraham have hope when there was absolutely no reason to have hope? If you were to take all physical measurements and say, okay, let's see how logical it is for Abraham and Sarah to have hope that he's going to be the father of many nations. How would that look on a piece of paper? And you'd say, okay, let me do the logical analysis of this. (laughs) You would say there's no hope. (laughs) It's not possible. It's not going to happen. And yet in hope against hope, Here's what he does. How does he do it? He believes it. Verse 18 says that he should become the father of many nations. Notice it as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. In fact, notice verse 20. 
No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do as he promised. How was Abraham able to have hope? Why did he have hope? Because he was fully convinced that God would do what he said. That's what all of chapter 4 is centering around. This is the faith by which it's credited to him as righteousness. Is here is this hope that he has that is squarely built not upon circumstances, not on logic in terms of a worldly perspective, but is simply built on the hope of what God has said. He has hope in what would be seemingly hopeless circumstances. This is ultimately the practice of hope. This is the idea of what I think we're getting at here of why hope needs to be exercised if it is truly hope. This is what Abraham has to do. This is the hope he hears now later on in his life with Isaac. All right. Are you still going to have hope in the promises of God and truly believe in that future? As God says, go take your son and go kill him on the altar. Do you still possess that hope? Let me give you a personal example of the idea of why hope needs to be exercised. Uh, just, a, just a few weeks ago, my, my grandmother passed away. And it's easy as a Christian to talk about the hope of eternal life before something happens, right? We'd, oh yeah, we'll all see each other again. Isn't this the great hope and the great reunion that we're all going to have and we're all going to be together eternally? We're all going to have eternal life. But when is that hope really challenged, really exercised? When it's put to the test and now you ask yourself, now that your loved one is gone, do you really believe in that hope? Is that hope real or is it just wishful thinking? Is it kind of a platitude, a trite statement that we just have? Now it becomes real. Do you believe this in this hope now? That's what Abraham's having to do. That's what's fascinating in watching in his life. As the years are going by in Abraham's life, and he's only getting older and older, and we're going to use Hagar, and that's going to be the answer. And God goes, no, that's not going to be the answer. Well, Lord, I'm 100 years old, and my wife is 90 years old. Do you believe, do you possess the hope when it's challenged? That's the only way you really know if you have hope or not. Then it's just wishful thinking otherwise. Then it's just wanting something for the future. It is a difficult circumstance that causes us to reach for real hope. And friends, I think that's why as... Christians and as as human beings really in general, all of us are looking for a tangible hope. That's what I think you are witnessing in December every single year (laughs) is trying to make sense of life and put hope in some kind of perspective. And so maybe we will have hope in the holidays. Maybe we will have hope in the new year. Maybe we're going to have hope in a change of circumstances that somehow, some way next year will be different and better. Or I'm hoping for the big Christmas raise or the big Christmas bonus. We start attaching to things that are awfully not often not real. And here's God saying, I want you to have a real hope. 
I want to give you something tangible. I want to give you something real. And so the big question here is that God builds hope, as verse 3 says in Romans 5, in suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. But the challenges of life, the suffering that we face, is going to put your hope to the test. Do you really believe that there is something to be hopeful for? Let's look at that hope a little bit more. Turn a few pages in your Bibles to chapter 8. Romans 8. We're here now, Paul brings hope back in again. And it's interesting, the context is fairly similar. Chapter 8, verse 18, he says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Notice again, suffering, but he's looking forward in hope to a future reality. And I says, I won't compare the future reality, the greater glories to come with the present suffering that I have. So here is this discussion of hope. Notice what he says now in, in verse 24. He says, therefore, in this hope, we were saved. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. Back up to verse 23 and see what he means. He says, not only the creation in Romans 8, 23, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies for in this hope. We were saved. What's the hope that we were saved in? What is the big thing that we are looking forward to? What is the the big hope that he says we're resting our lives on? He says adoption as children of his. The big hope, the big thing that we're supposed to hang our lives on, the thing that we are looking forward to is ultimately this adoption as his children. Full relationship with God. Listen to how Paul told it to Titus when he opened his letter. He wrote to Titus and said, In hope of eternal life that God who never lies promised before the ages begin. In due time he revealed his word through the proclamation of which I've been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Notice how that sentence opened. In hope of eternal life. What a way to start a letter. Titus, here's Paul, Titus, you know. And then in hope of eternal life. This is what you've been called to. The thing that you were supposed to look forward to in life. The big hope that you are to have. Is hope in Christ. Hope of eternal life. And notice how Paul words it. In hope of eternal life. Now, what is the character of God by which you would have that hope? He doesn't lie. I held on to that one very strongly a few weeks ago. In fact, I was asked to do the closing prayer at the funeral, and I just quoted that line in my prayer as I opened it up. And I just said, God, you promised eternal life and you can't lie. I hold on to that. You said those who have faith in you have eternal life and you cannot lie. 
you said it. Which, by the way, isn't that what Abraham's doing in Romans 4? Why does Abraham have hope against hope? Because God said so. Because God said it was going to happen. So it didn't matter what circumstances looked like. It didn't matter what was going on. In fact, back here in Romans 8, notice how he says it in verse 24, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hope for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We are microwave culture people. We want it right now, real fast. I don't want to wait. You know, three minutes is waiting a really long time. That is just way too long. And notice the picture that he gives of hope. Hope is something that you don't see. It wouldn't be that if you saw it. It would be reality. You wouldn't hope for things that you already possess, things that you already see, things that you already have. He says, but there is something out there you are waiting for. Adoption as as children. That you would have the hope of eternal life. Now you can't see that. You don't have something in your hands and go, now tangibly, here's my ticket and I know I'm in. But he said, your suffering is producing the endurance that's producing the character that is testing your faith so that you know that you would have eternal life. And oh, by the way, God said that there's eternal life. Which now go to Romans 15 because Paul comes back at that one more time. Romans chapter 15. Three times in the book of Romans he addresses hope. Three fascinating pictures of it. So with this, knowing that through our difficulties and through the challenges, no matter the darkness, we have this hope. Notice that this is exactly what God wants us to have. Romans 15, and notice this verse 13, then we'll back up and get a little bit of the context, but just Romans 15, 13. Here's, the, here's Paul's prayer. May the God of hope, interesting, that's the description of God right there. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Now that's what everybody wants this time of year. <laughs> all right. All right, may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Why? So that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in what? Hope. The God of hope wants you to abound in hope. He wants you to have hope. He wants you to possess that reality. He wants you to be a hopeful Christian. Paul does not say, now let's all be a bunch of realists and let's get serious. No, there's a hope that you were saved in. There is a hope of eternal life, the hope of being children of God, the hope of the redemption of our bodies, Romans 8. There is this hope that is sitting out there. And he says, now this happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, now we big question mark in the air, right? Scratch our head. What do you mean by that? Back up and look at what he means by that. Look at verse 2. Romans 15, 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days 
was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Here is the picture of how we are supposed to have hope. God is the God of hope. Paul's prayer is that they would abound in hope and be filled with joy and peace in believing. Paul says here in in chapter 15 and verse 4 that the things that were written in the former days was written for our instruction so that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, equal sign, we might have hope. Through endurance, which we just talked about a minute ago in Romans 5, interestingly enough, he comes all the way back around to that idea, plus the encouragement of the scriptures equals you might have hope. Those two things are given to us by God. This is the power of the Holy Spirit that we might have hope. Now, we already mentioned that we have this idea of endurance, that hope needs to be tested. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope must be regularly exercised, regularly challenged. Otherwise, it's not hope. That's Romans 5. He brings that idea in here again. But notice a little bit more that he says that it is through the encouragement of the Scripture that we might have hope. What gave Abraham hope? We said, God said so. God said, you would be the father of many nations. Abraham believed it. And so in hope against hope, he did not waver in his faith. His faith was strong because of the hope he had. Notice the same ideas here. Why do we have hope? Because God told us. God speaks to Abraham and says, here's why you should have hope. Because you're going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham goes, got it. Has faith in that, hope against hope. Now the apostle Paul comes along and says, I want you to have hope. And how are you supposed to have hope? Because God's talked to you. And he told you all of his promises. And he's speaking to you by the power of the Holy Spirit right here and say, here's what I said. And everything that God says, you're allowed to just rest your life on. In fact, I'd like to push the idea a little bit further. When Paul writes this in Romans 15 and verse 4, and he says, through the encouragement of the scriptures, you might have hope. What scriptures were in existence when he said, through the encouragement of the scriptures, you would have hope? Not the passages that we probably turn to for hope. (laughs) He didn't have Romans yet written. He's still in the process of writing that when he was talking about hope. I think it is interesting. He's talking about the Hebrew scriptures. That even Genesis, Isaiah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, not just the Psalms. All of those books are given so that we would have hope. To state that in a different way then. At the times that we lack hope are the times when we lack time in God's word. I want us just to consider what a different perspective 
we are being given when it comes to the Word of God. Do you think about God's Word in the way Paul just said it? That the reason the Scriptures exist is so that you would have hope. I'm afraid that the Scriptures are usually painted as the book of obligation, responsibility, and duty. You know, okay, well, I need to read the Bible and see what God has to say. I guess I'll get it open. Ah, we have to study God's Word today. And we often portray the Scriptures as painful uh, work, uh, a drudgery, an obligation. And notice that Paul doesn't say... Well, you know, the scriptures are there and they're fairly useful to you and you really should read them sometime because they would help you out quite a bit. Notice that he says there that there are by two things that you're going to have hope. I want you to abound in hope. I want you to have joy and peace. How are you going to have those things? It's going to be through endurance. You're going to go through suffering that's going to challenge that hope and make you exercise it so that you can believe it or not. But the other part is, Encouragement of the Scriptures. The reason the Scriptures are here is to give your life hope. And what I think is fascinating about that is, so when we come into dark times, difficulties, trials, suffering, we often don't turn to the thing that's supposed to give us the hope we need. We start looking to empty things for hope. We look for life changes and raises and careers and jobs and family and friends and New Year's and calendars and things like that. That This is going to be the big thing that's going to change everything about our lives. And I hope that we would see is that God doesn't say, you know, the scriptures are just not for academic knowledge. That's the other thing that sometimes the scriptures are often portrayed. You know, it's just something to be memorized. The Bible's kind of like this encyclopedia of of spiritual information, and it's just going to help you to know it. The Bible's never portrayed that way either, that just just know it. You know, it's like math. Don't ask why, just know it. That's the only way I got through algebra. Who who knows why X, Y, and Z have to be moved all over the place? You just do it like that, and you don't ask why. (laughs) Okay, that's why I passed. If I asked why, I wouldn't have got that. Just do it that way. Now, God doesn't do that. He doesn't say, just know this and don't ask why. It's not academic knowledge. It's given so that you read it, you will have hope. And friends, I want us to think about life as we go forward in this way. In terms of hope, that's the strength you need for life. The strength that you need for life is in the Scriptures. Even the Hebrew Scriptures, even in those prophets, that's where life is going to be found. And let me just ask it another way. Where else are you going to get hope from? Where else are you really going to have hope for 2019? You can create a lot of human hopeful concepts. Next year's going to be better because fill in the blank. 
But if you're honest, there's two things that I think you quickly realize. One, I probably said all those things last year. (laughs) And the year before that and the year before that. And I keep rolling that empty hope forward that this time it's really going to be different. This time it will be a better marriage or a better job or a better career or a better pay. It's going to be that this time. It's not. The second reality of that is we don't have control over that. If you're honest, we can't make those things happen as much as we think we can. That's why that empty hope keeps rolling forward. This time it's going to be better because... And why does it not turn out that way? Because you can't control that. Where else are we going to get hope? It is, um, it's funny to me how often we have these trite sayings right now. Don't worry and be happy works, right? <laughs> Don't worry, be happy. <laughs> uh, that sounds great when things are good, <laughs> but that absolutely helps nothing when things are bad. Or how about keep calm and fill in the blank, right? <laughs> keep calm and carry on. Is that really hope? Is that really the tangible thing that you need? We try to put our hope in our careers or in our wealth, in our family, in our friends. I hope that we would see the more that we do these worldly efforts of trying to create hope in other people or other situations or careers or relationships or whatever it is, that only increases hopelessness. It only increases hopelessness. Because everything in life lets us down, doesn't it? All the hope that you can possibly put into wealth until something happens and there that goes. Or all the hope that you put into your marriage and then it goes poorly and your spouse lets you down. Or your kids and your kids let you down. Or your parents and your parents let you down. Or all the hope in your career and then you get passed over seven times for the promotion that you thought you were assuming to have. We put all of our eggs in these hope baskets that are not real. The only place where there is truly hope is in God's great promises. And this is what Romans 5 was starting off with. This is the hope that does not disappoint, is God's love being poured into our hearts, which is in verses 6 through 10, is the coming of Jesus to earth, living his life in a beautiful, magnificent life, showing himself to be God in every way and yet sacrificing himself while we were helpless while we were his enemies, while we were sinners. That's real hope. I was just teaching that to the kids in the class in the, in the prior hour. And I asked them to think about how many people who are your enemies would you willfully die for? How many people that are on your list of just they're against you and they are your enemies and they're terrible people. <laughs> and you just say, well, I would die for them. We're all shaking our heads going, no. And yet God did that. 
That's what gives you hope in life, is that at our worst, God comes and does his greatest work. That he does this amazing work to save us from sins. That's the hope that we have. That's the hope that we long for. So as we wrap this up, I just want us to have this approach for the end of this year and the beginning of the new year. That our hope would not be tied to flipping calendars (laughs) or having a holiday, whatever it is that we're just resting all of our hope in. It's interesting this time of year. I, I love this time of year quite a bit. You wouldn't believe that because I am such a cynic, but I do love this time of year a lot. And, you know, there's such a buildup to what's going to happen here really soon. And then in a matter of mere hours, it's gone. And then it's 365 more days to just ramp all that up again, just to watch it vaporize in just a few hours. And then it's like, oh, man, we were building all that up and now it's already gone again. We need something tangible. We need something real. And the real thing is because... Christ came because he died and because he rose again. That is the living hope that we have. The Apostle Peter wrote to a bunch of Christians who were suffering, and he told them this in 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice the idea. I want you to have your minds ready And set your hope on some things that are real. Things that will change your life. Things that you can bank on that will not change. That will most certainly happen. Set your hope on the fact that Jesus is coming back. That is something that is guaranteed. For all the things that become wishful thinking in our lives. The hope that God gives us is the hope of the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is coming back. Set your hope on that. He has promised eternal life. And he cannot lie. All of our life should be resting on that hope. Not the hope of what could change or be better or different, but the hope of eternal life. And the way to ground ourselves in that hope is through the encouragement of the scriptures. Number one, it is the scriptures that will give you hope. You need hope. We all need hope. God wants you to have hope. Paul's prayer to the Romans is that you would abound in hope, that you would have joy and peace in that. We need hope to get through this life. God gives us that hope, but it's through the word. We need the word for us, number one. But number two, please know this. Know that through your suffering and through your difficulties that these things are producing endurance and in producing character that is changing you to become closer and closer to God and to the glory that is to be revealed. We have these things in our lives. The suffering and the challenges and the pain. So that we would grab on to a real hope to really hope in things that matter most and not in the empty things of this life i hope you'll have your ears out for it because between now and when the ball drops in a week you will hear some of the weirdest things to be hopeful for and i hope that you'll hear those things and laugh and go 
I heard you say that last year on TV. (laughs) That's not where hope lies. Hope lies in the eternal life that God has promised that rests in us through the encouragement of the scriptures and through the difficulties that we face. Suffering and difficulties challenge us to set our hope on the life to come that God has brought to us through Christ, his son. We're going to sing invitation song and we invite you to come to Jesus this morning. And ultimately, God's invitation is an invitation to hope. That all that Jesus did through his son and coming to this world, living his life and giving it on the cross and raising from the dead three days later and then reigning on the throne, all of that is done so that we would have hope. So that we would have something tangible, something in this life that we know cannot be shaken. I wanted to do Hebrews 6, but maybe preaching that soon. Hebrews 6 comes along and says, it's an anchor. (laughs) It's the anchor you need. Hope is the anchor you need. That's what gets you through life. It's everything to get you through. If you are not grounded in the scriptures and grounded in the love of God, you will get wrecked by life. It is hard. It is difficult. But would you rest your hope in Jesus? Put it fully on the eternal life that is to come. God has promised there is life to come. And there is nothing in this life worth enjoying to trade that eternal life to come. Give your life to Jesus today. Turn away from your sins. Confess him to be the son of God who died for your sins. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Will you come and do that now while we stand and while we sing?